0: All right, well, let's close in prayer. <laughs> that kind of said it all. Did you recognize yourself on, on stage somewhere? Maybe with some slight exaggeration. What do we pray for? What are we supposed to pray for? Well, what's in your heart? Do you know what's in your heart? I mean, we have a lot of, uh, you know, expectations and we have a lot of preferences and we even have demands. But, but what's in your heart? Because God wants to hear from you And he wants to hear from you at the level of your heart. And I think sometimes what that means is we need to sit for a while and think about that because we're not even honest with ourselves. I mean, behind all the things on the surface that we're asking for, and sounds like we're demanding, there are some deep needs that we have that we're not often even in touch with. I'm alone, Lord. I really feel all alone. I'm... uh, I'm afraid. I, I, I have these fears. Lord, I have this longing. It's, and and what, is, what, what is that longing? If you go deep down inside, what is that? God wants to hear from you. He wants to know what's on your heart. Often we just sort of rattle it off. Uh, sometimes we're even performing it. Sometimes we're just, oh, I need to check that off and, and make sure I said my prayers. God wants to hear what's on your heart. And you get to... Tell him what's on your heart. You don't have to censor it. You get to be more honest with him than you get to be or you can be with anybody else. Oh, and by the way, what's on his heart? Do you know what's on his heart? Do you know what God cares about? Do you know about the needs of those people that God made, God loves deeply? Do you pay any attention to that? Do you pray about that because... That's what he cares about? Do you know what's on his heart? Do you know what he pays attention to? Do you know who he cares for? Can you pray in a way that reflects the heart of God? Oh, and how long should you pray? Well, how long is your concern? Is it five minutes long? How deep is your conviction? Can you get it out quickly? I mean, there's no rules about this. But if I were to ask you, how long do you spend on the phone with the girlfriend who lives halfway across the country? Um, What kind of... Do you put a timer on when you talk to somebody that you really care about, that you really love? I mean, what happens when you are lost in the moment You you don't think about time? When you're in a conversation with somebody you feel close to, somebody you're ready to pour your heart out to... You don't. You don't. You don't check the watch. It just. It just sort of happens. It could be five minutes, or it could be. It could be an hour. Um, prayer is one heart connecting with another heart. God has opened up His heart. He's put it out there on the table. It's a bleeding heart. It's a great big huge heart full of compassion for you and for a world of people. And we get to talk to Him. We get to listen to him talking to us we get to share and he's already promised to listen to you. Last week we were talking about temptation. We're in Matthew chapter 4 and we did the the temptation of Jesus and Jesus went through it all. You think, well, was he really tempted? I mean, you know, this is the the son of God. This is this is Jesus. I mean, Wasn't that a bit of a charade? I mean, that was all easy for him. He was sort of skimming across this. You know, was that a difficult time in the desert, those 40 days? Well, 40 days without food. Yes, fully God, but fully man at the same time, fully human. And so I, I think the truth is, is that his experience of temptation is a lot more profound than ours, because I resist for about five minutes, and I give in maybe 10 minutes, maybe on a good day an hour, maybe, maybe I'll resist for days. But to resist for 40 days when you're as hungry as you can be and the temptations keep coming at you and to go all the way to the end and to refuse to sell your soul, to refuse to compromise your integrity. Um, you know something about temptation if you've been through all of that. We haven't been through all of that because at some point we have fallen. We have stumbled. We have stumbled badly. We have taken a deep dive. You talk about prayer? I tend to to pray real well when I'm actually over the edge of the cliff. Then I remember to pray when I'm I'm desperate. What about praying proactively? Um, What about praying when I'm in the depths of it, when I'm really wrestling with it? Do I remember who I have access to, who has made himself available to me, and says, uh, I'm here. You, you, you might need some help. We pray. The relationship of prayer to temptation is it's a prayer for clarification. Lord, show me what's going on here because I tend to, I tend to you know, deceive myself, even. I need clarity. I need courage to face this thing. And the thing that's defeated me before. I'm going to need courage to face it again. So prayer in relationship to temptation. That was, our, that was our focus last week. And today we're looking at Matthew chapter four, beginning with verse 12. He leaves the wilderness. He's finished with that ordeal. So beginning with verse 12, let's look at I'm going to read it for us. When Jesus heard that John, that's John the Baptist, had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Temptation, we know a lot about that, and some of us probably are kind of experts on that, actually, and uh, we know we've got a fight on our hands. Um, Can you, uh, are you willing to face it? Are you willing to name it? Are you willing to own it, and take responsibility for it? You know, we have these, these strong words for us, in the Old Testament and New Testament, that, that, that beg for us to go into a time of prayer. You know, there's that, that statement in the Old Testament, sin is crouching at the door. It's ready, to, uh, it's ready to hijack your life. It's sneaking up on you. All of us have a certain vulnerability, and uh, we better be owning that and constantly in prayer about that. We ultimately have to gain some kind of victory over that. I mean, our future depends upon it. And the ability to unleash the gifts that God has for us, we got to be in that battle. It, 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 it's, it's the good fight, and we have to fight it. The battle of, of temptation uh, is, is a constant struggle. And temptation itself, of course, is, is not the sin. The fact that it's out there and appealing to us, the fact that we have a vulnerability, that just... You know, is an acknowledgement that we are human and we are all very, very human. Um, but to defeat it ultimately, because we are forgiven, we're not forgotten, God has done something, God has intervened, Christ has come. There is an event called the cross, and for our failure, He died. And He's given us a release from the guilt that belongs to us. And then he's promised us power to move us from that place into a new pattern, into a new way of life. And as the next step on this journey, we come to that word repentance. Now, how many of you would say that's, that's my favorite word? I use that word a lot. I didn't think so. Repentance sounds like such a negative word, but it's such a powerful word. It really is another way of talking about transformation that you can actually get unstuck. Wouldn't that be an amazing thing, to get unstuck, to get out of this place? And there are moments when I live in this darkness, as the passage calls it, coming from Isaiah, living in this darkness. And he actually doesn't say living in the darkness. He actually writes, the word is sitting in the darkness. Sitting is, is, is you're stuck there. You, you can't get up. You can't move away. You're stuck in this place. So, God has made a way for you to get out. He has covered your sin. And then he calls you to turn away from this, whatever this is. And it would be good if you knew what that was, so you can actually turn away from it. Can you, can you name it? Have you ever named it to yourself? Have you ever named it in front of a good friend, someone you trust, someone who, who will not take that and use that against you, but actually will make themselves part of your support? a true friend who will walk alongside of you. Will you own it and then will you confess it, which means simply to agree with God, this doesn't belong in my life. I don't want this here. I'm going to turn away from it now and I'm going to turn toward God. So repentance is a very, very powerful move that we get to make to turn away from the darkness and turn toward the light. This all gets kind of hypothetical, you know, the language gets a little bit spiritual. It needs to get very practical for us. This week in San Diego, I was, uh, I was at a conference, um, and uh, one of the speakers uh, kind of kind of knocked me o- off my usual sort of critical listening to speakers. You know, I, I, I am a speaker, so I do a lot of speaking, so when I listen to other speakers, I sit back there and I go, oh, I was, you know, I kind of missed on that one, kind of, that was good. I can be very, very critical listening to others. You don't do that to you in in your area of supposed expertise. And uh, this guy um, was talking about issues and coming from a place that made me set all of that aside and listen to it. In fact, I had to repent of my critical attitude, the one that I tend to take in when I'm evaluating somebody else's performance as a communicator, as a presenter. This is the pastor of the largest Christian church in the Middle East, in Cairo, Egypt. Um, Their church is located one block from Tahrir Square. What a place to try to do ministry. Um, In the heart of darkness, if you know what's going on in Egypt, and you know the struggle going on there, and it's kind of the epicenter of the the Arab Spring 2.0, and what's going to happen? And it's all up for grabs. And, and, and they have determined as a church that they're going to minister in that very, very dark and threatening and difficult place. And so um, their courtyard, a block away, has become a kind of triage center where Christian and Muslim doctors serve the injured. And they do it almost every weekend. They did it again this, this past weekend. Um. And they have gone out and cleaned up the square. Imagine that. Who would ever dare do that? These, these must be real Christians as opposed to the other kind of Christians who are pretending. And um, they, uh, they offer their services to anybody in the community. In fact, they, they, they have organizations out there, most of them Muslim-based and muslim background who sign up for their services, and so that one day they sent a troop out to somewhere else in the city, and it turns out this organization, this group over here, is a branch of Al-Qaeda. I just wonder, how many of you ministered in the Al-Qaeda section of, of the town lately? And they showed up, and the person met them at the door and said, who are you? And spoke very harshly to them. Um... Well, you signed up for this, and we're bringing—you know—we're going to do a—we—we're we, offering to do a children's program for your children. Well, um, really, let me see the signature. Okay, well, there it is. All right, you're Christians, right? Is that a guitar? We don't do music here, so leave that on the outside. And uh, all right, we'll let you in, but no singing, and you're staying for five minutes. They came in, they began to play with the children. They began to share the love of God in this very, very dark place. I can't even imagine. And uh, they were about to leave, and the guys said, no, stay a little, stay a little bit longer. And they stayed for an hour. And they started singing because they were invited to sing. And then they were invited back when they left. Will you come back? Will you come back? Al-Qaeda. Wow. I mean, lots of questions come up in your mind. How, how would you operate there? Well... When the light comes into the darkness, things begin to happen. God's in charge of that. You don't know what's going to happen. You have to play it by ear. You kind of, uh, it's, it's improvisational. But you even see that as a place you can go. And you have to kind of leave your own safe place. And some of us, I think, have to repent of our need, of our addiction to safety. Uh, I like to be in control. I like to know my environment's sterile. I like to know there's no hostility that I'm going to meet. I want to know that I'm going to be appreciated. No. The light is so powerful that a little bit of light dispels a whole lot of darkness. Now, that would have been an interesting concept. However, it's not a concept because this church is right there at the square in Cairo. And week after week, they open their heart and they share the light that has come into their own lives. Do you ever think about doing that? Is there a place where you can do that? What about your own neighborhood? You know, um, we have this prophecy coming from Isaiah, and it focuses on Galilee of the Gentiles, and it talks about Zebulun and Naphtali. Those are the two northern tribes in Israel. This is the borderlands. The way to the sea is the Roman road the Via Maris the road from Damascus to Caesarea on the on the Mediterranean Sea and uh, the Roman soldiers would march back and forth and Roman culture marches back and forth this is Galilee of the Gentiles this is not a safe place this is a difficult place if you are truly Orthodox as a Jew you would not live there you would not try to operate there you would stay in Jerusalem because that's the city of the great king, that's, that's God's city, and that's where you're going to be safe, and that's where everybody around you is going to reinforce the beliefs that you have. But to live out there, that Jesus would begin his ministry out there, at the borderlands, where the Gentiles, where the pagans roam freely, where you actually have to turn away from a life that has been centered on yourself, and now turn toward those who have great needs and who won't appreciate you and who won't respond to you necessarily. You're taking a huge risk when you do that. And in order to do that, you have to do this thing called repent. You have to turn. You have to turn away from and you have to turn toward. You have to know In each case, what you're doing, what are you turning away from? Probably the simplest way to say it is you're turning away from a life engineered to maximize your own sense of security and happiness. It is the ultimate in self-centeredness. And that's ingrained in us. Whatever the particular sins, whatever the particular dysfunctions or problems or issues in our lives, it can often be reduced almost always to that it's about you it's about taking care of you and you don't really know how to take care of you that's the problem you do a terrible job of taking care of you all by yourself without reference to god you heard the people praying up here trying to take care of themselves i would predict disaster (laughs) based on those prayers Although God takes us right where we are, and if our prayers aren't exactly on, at least we're making the effort to communicate, and he will reshape our prayers so that what we're going after is actually something that he has for us instead of something that will continue to kind of implode us into something smaller and more self-centered. And whether it's self-aggrandizement, those of us who try to blow ourselves up and make ourselves bigger than life and impress other people, or whether it's self-loathing, it's still about the self at the center and self at the center doesn't work. So we turn away from that. So what does that mean for you to turn away from that? I'll tell you what it means for me. Unfortunately, I'm, I'm painfully aware of what it means for me. It means, for example, yesterday I'm on the street and I'm going into a store And I come out of the store, and that's just a routine amount of business, and I've got a few other things I've got to do, and of course I have a busy life like you do, which can excuse an awful lot of blindness on my part. And a guy asks me, can you buy me something to eat? And that always has a biblical ring to me, something about feeding the hungry. Isn't that in there somewhere? Isn't that what God cares about? This guy is hungry, and he asks me to buy him something to eat. Now, I don't like giving money away because I don't know what it's going for, but Doggone it, he's made it more difficult for me to get away because he's asking for something that I can do. And I just went to the bank, so I'm flush with cash. And here's a store that sells sandwiches, so I take him in there. I get his name, okay? I'm Doug, he's Daryl. Okay, we shake hands. We go up, he orders the most expensive sandwich on the board. Almost 10 bucks. And he says, is that okay? Yeah, it's okay. All right. So he's taken care of. I've done what I need to do. And I walk out and I get in my car and I drive away. As I drive away, I'm already feeling like I had an opportunity to say, so Daryl, tell me about your life. Let's sit down for a minute and talk. While they 're making your sandwich what 's going on with you? Do I not have ten minutes for that? No, in my busy life because i 'm so important, and what i 'm doing is so indispensable i don 't even have to have to check in with God. I just do what what I feel like doing, and ten bucks to me is really nothing, and that really wasn 't what he needed so much, as important as bread is. We learned that last week as we looked at the temptation you know to Jesus to turn the stones into bread. Yes, we need bread, but what's more important is what God is doing, what nurtures the soul. I didn't nurture his soul, not for a minute. I might have been a light encouragement to him at the most. I, uh, I repent. And repent means I feel a kind of um, sorrow inside that I missed an opportunity, that I made the wrong decision, and I need to own that. And then I need to be alert to, I need to be awakened to opportunities that i miss Um, other things going on yesterday yesterday as it turned out to be quite a laboratory for this for this message unfortunately for me or i should say fortunately because i am i am learning something i'm not completely dull i am getting some things they're coming through repentance is possible i don't have to stay stuck and you don't either so because i'm sort of impervious to the needs of other people i can develop sensitivity As God loves me, that sensitizes me to people, including strangers that I've never met. Maybe even to somebody who seems a bit threatening to me. And it's amazing who can seem threatening to me. And so yesterday there was a lot going on. And at one point, as we picked up our son and daughter and granddaughter at the airport and we're driving around, we're doing a variety of things and there's a lot on my mind and there's some other issues and problems that are kind of lurking over there in the corner um, a couple of times, because my wife is in the back seat telling me what I should be doing, I got a little bit snappy with her. Yes, this beautiful woman back here. I got a little bit snappy with her. Don't look at her now and see if she's unhappy. And I had to apologize for that. I didn't want to. In fact, my first reaction is, you know what? I'm actually giving you less of a response than the one you deserve right now. (laughs) Because I don't like somebody controlling me when I'm driving. I know where I'm going. I know what I'm doing. Doesn't every man? Without even asking for directions or help. I just automatically know. And don't tell me if I'm going hundred miles out of my way. I don't want to hear it. And so I get a little snappy and I get a little bit terse. And I really don't, when I see myself, see a reflection of myself as God reminds me of what I'm doing and what he designed me for, that's not it. So you get to repent. You get to turn away from that, that kind of behavior. She doesn't deserve that. It's not helpful. It's not the best of who you are, Doug. And turn and go in a different direction. I get to turn and go in a different direction. What do you need to turn away from? I'm serious now. In a very practical way, in a very relational way, what do you need to turn away from? It might be something actually damaging that you're doing. Wouldn't be surprised. We have great capability of doing that with our habits and patterns. What's actually damaging? What is um, a waste of time that you do? You know? Gee, I started off playing this video game. That was three hours ago. I didn't mean to play for three hours. I don't know, just, just, a, just a thought. I love using that one because I don't do that one. I want to get on some of you now. What is it you waste time doing? What is it you're sort of fixated on and you keep doing, and it's unproductive? You can turn away from that. You can leave that aside, that childish thing, that waste of time, that, that worthless activity. Worthless in terms of what God wants for you and what the world needs from you. And the people around are waiting for you to give because God has given it to you to give to them. Whatever that is. And then, of course, what is it you're neglecting? What is it you're neglecting to do? I mean, you have opportunities in front of you and you've neglected. You're not paying any attention to that at all. Repentance is an awakening. I see the damage. I see the waste over here and I'm... I'm no longer going to invest in that. I'm now going to turn because I'm going to walk out into the light. I'm going to go in the direction that God has called me into. And the very best of me, of who God designed me to be and you to be, is going to show up here. As Jesus comes into our world, the kingdom of God suddenly appears in, in, in vivid color. You mean this is what God is like. This is what God wants. This is the pattern of a new humanity that God wants to create and recreate in you and in me. And we are called, and this is a gift, God gives us the gift of repentance, and it's also at the very same time a choice we make. You can't eliminate either side of that equation. It's God's gift to awaken you, and it's your choice now to step out into the light and go in a different direction. You get to leave this behind, and you get to move forward. And nothing happens until you repent. Nothing happens until you change your mind, which is literally what the word means metanoia, change, metanous, your mind in the Greek, to change your perspective, to change your perceptions, to change your affections, what you feel, and ultimately to change your whole orientation. We talk a lot about orientation these days. You know, people can choose their. This is the orientation we need. Everything else sort of lines up with this. Once you have chosen this orientation, I'm going in this direction, I am going to become absolutely selfless and discover the self that God made me to be. Back to my friend. Um, Well, he's not really my friend. I just think of him as, as a gift to me, this pastor from Cairo. And he was talking about um, the new converts they have. And here's a Muslim background convert. Do you think that's a costly thing to do, by the way, to turn away from a previous um, allegiance and now turn toward Christ? You think? you think that's in, in Egypt, in that part of the world? And as this particular convert was being baptized, he was asked, do you understand the decision you're making? Do you know that your family may be duty-bound to take your life now? Because it's blasphemy to be from this background and to do this kind of conversion. Are you ready to do that? And the man said, well, I had a dream. And in this dream, Jesus visited me. And I saw him. And he's so beautiful. He's so beautiful. Wonderful. I've been looking for him my whole life and I didn't know it. I had heard his name. It's in the Quran. He's a prophet in the Quran. He's somebody who's highly valued in the Quran. But to discover him as he really is, the kingdom of God has come close because Jesus himself is the embodiment of the kingdom. Is God with us? Is the love of God embodied standing in front of us? And this man and so many others. In the Muslim world, I don't understand it. This is what God does. He doesn't, he doesn't care whether we think it's a good idea or not. He is spreading the good news by showing up in dreams and visions. And this man committed his life to Christ and he said, you wouldn't even be asking me that question. Am I willing to die if you had seen him as I have seen him? Of course I am. Of course I am. Now, I was convicted to the depths as I heard that testimony and the testimony of so many others who are deciding they're not going to get stuck in neutral even. They're going to go the distance. They're going to go all the way. And that's something you've got to pray about. You've got to pray about it to let go of, because you're hanging on to some things that are pretty valuable and pretty intrinsic to you now. They're embedded in you. It's the sin that so easily entangles you and prevents you from moving forward. But you're so comfortable with it. You're so familiar with it. To pray that God would give you the courage to let it go and the courage now to turn and walk with him. And he won't tell you exactly where you're going. You trust him. You're going with him. That's all you need to know. And the direction he takes you in is the way of life. Out of darkness, out of death, toward the dawn. And this is Jesus, not just a historical figure, but Jesus who has given his life, who died on that cross, who was raised again by the Father and is now giving life to everyone who comes out into the light and meets Him. Here's what we're going to do this morning. You have in your little program a thin piece of paper. I'm going to ask you to do a very daring thing right now. Not nearly as daring as the actual transformation of a life. But this is symbolic of that. At least it's a step in the right direction. At least it forces us to face and to name and to own. As you think about the thing in your life that damages you, or the thing that is wasting time and wasting potential and wasting uh, precious opportunities, or that you have neglected to respond Opportunities out there, which as you think of those three categories, you're gonna. If you don't have a pen, we got pens coming around. We're gonna, I'm gonna ask you to write down. You're going, uh oh, what about the person sitting next to me? What if they see what I write down? Okay, write it in a different language, write it in Russian. Nobody speaks Russian in here. Okay, write down a word if you dare, write down the problem the dysfunction do i call it dare call it a sin that you need both release from forgiveness from and you need to be empowered to move past what is it can you write it down for me it's well it's a variety of things and i've i've told you about it it comes back to my self-centeredness. It comes back to my reactivity. It comes back to my, my, my ag- over-aggressiveness sometimes in reacting wrongly to things that are going on. And I can excuse it all day long. That's just who I am. And God says, no, actually you could turn away from that. I forgive you for that. And I can empower you now in a new direction. So what do you want to let go of? What do you want to change? What do you want to leave behind? What's the sin that needs both forgiveness and then requires a kind of empowerment to move past. Write it down. Okay? Am I serious? Yes, write it down. What if the person next to me sees it? Well, first of all, they probably already know. If they know you. They probably already know. Secondly, if they don't know, one of the best things that could happen to you is that you're outed. And now you don't have to hide anything anymore. And and shame requires on hiding. Requires us to hide and, and counts on us... We don't need to carry any shame around about this because God has done something about it. And now we have a choice to make because he has brought us a beautiful gift today by reminding us of his word. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. It is at hand. It is right here. The light has invaded the darkness. And you get to be a part of that initiative anywhere in the world, wherever you go. You get to be a part of that and other people will wonder about what's happened to you as a result. So have you written it down? I'm going to pray for us. And in a moment, here's what's going to happen. You'll notice there are three stations here. Over there, here, over there in the corner. And I know you're worried. What do you mean? You're going to collect these? What are you going to do? Have a discussion about these? Do I have to put my name on this? No, don't put your name on it. This is, this is for you, Okay. And what's going to happen is you're going to come up and you're going to put this piece of paper in a bowl of water. And something's going to happen. And you need to kind of stir it around a little bit. We've got sticks up here. Just kind of stir it around a little bit. You'll see what happens. It's all symbolic. Let me pray for us.